Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with someone who's put together an impressive career, a former editor-in-chief at Newsweek, and uh, so much more. I'll be here for an hour explaining his uh, credentials. Uh, he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning biographer and author. Uh, he Again, his uh, his writing is a wonderful, number one, best-selling New York Times author. John Meacham is our very special guest. His latest is The Hope of Glory, Reflections on the Last Words of Jesus from the Cross. John Meacham, how are you? I'm okay. How y'all doing? I'm I'm doing great. And I've I've read a couple of your books. I love your writing. Uh this is this seems, and again, I don't have this yet. I plan on getting it. Uh this seems a little more intimate than the the, the books I've read of you in the past. Is this a departure from what you usually write? Uh, a little bit. Uh it's a subject of enduring interest for me. Um, I grew up, you know, in, in Episcopal schools. Uh, went to chapel every day, so it's always been part of, of the air I breathe. And one of the things that has been important to me, at least since you know my early twenties, maybe, was finding a a critical way. And by critical, I just mean uh, a balanced way of, of approaching uh, the Bible, because no more important book ever produced, right? Uh, shapes how we tell time, uh, shapes everything. And you can believe or disbelieve. You can be uh, anti-religious right or whatever. But the basic historical fact is that religion has been uh, one of the most transformative and fundamental forces in, in human history. And so to me, not being interested in religion is like not being interested in economics or uh, right. politics or judge. It's just, it, it, it's the biggest thing you can think of. So um, this is, yeah, you're right. Intimate's a nice, an interesting word. Um, it's more personal. It's still pretty, you know, I'm, I'm still a button down wasp. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's not very confessional. Uh, but it, it's a... Um, it's my effort to say, here is the Christian message. Here's a way to access it through the most unimaginably powerful moment, uh, the crucifixion, and how the Gospels were formed, how the Word spread, um, why doubt and faith are so intimately linked. Um, so it, it's my other thought about this is, you know, history's horizontal. You know, we can see what happened, right? You know, X, Y, Z in a chronological way. But both patriotism and faith and imagination are vertical, right? It's what we make of those events. And so history and theology uh, are fascinating because we can sort of take a look at what the raw data we 
and then figure out what the church made of it and how that affects us. And so it's like the old uh, thing about the wing of a butterfly produces a hurricane somewhere else. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's how, a, how a ripple becomes a, a, a flood tide. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it's uh, fascinating to me. Uh, when I heard about the book, I thought, oh, you know, let, let me grab this, and I'm going to urge everyone else to grab it. It's the hope of glory, reflections on the last words of Jesus from the cross. And again, John Meacham is the author of that book, and anything he writes is just absolutely terrific and, and well thought out. Presidential historian extraordinaire John Meacham, once again, is our very special guest. When you when you take on a a book uh, such as this, I know you've seen everything and you've been through everything. And, and Newsweek alone, you've uh, you you probably covered uh, more ground than than most other people will ever in their mm-hmm. in their lives. But when you take on a, a subject like this, do you do you get debaters? Do you get folks that are are writing to you and emailing you, texting you? Uh, confronting you, saying, "Well, how could you say this, John? How could you, you know, did you get any of that so far with this book, or is this uh, 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 people?" It's a great. Yeah. That's a great question. That's a great question. I have gotten more reaction to it than I expected, um, and interestingly, I, it's been a lot of folks sending me their thoughts, not fighting so much, um, which surprised me. I, I sort of expected what. Well, it was premised in your question. Um, you know, some social media chatter about, oh, it's all made up. You know, you're an idiot. Uh, but I get that just for waking up in the morning. <laughs> uh, so that, that's not a problem. Um, but clearly it taps into the subject itself and the act of publishing on the subject taps into a, a vein of people who are also wrestling with this and are in an interesting kind of in-between place between faith, doubt, tradition, and scholarship, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Gospels themselves are such complicated documents because they weren't written to be traditional biographies. Right. This wasn't like David McCullough wrote about Jesus. You know, it, it, that's not how this works. It was these were apologetic documents. John said, this is written that ye might believe. Uh, and so they were making a case. It's a brief more than a biography. And to me, what's so interesting and it to, to pull this apart does not weaken my faith. It actually strengthens it to climb inside and try to figure out what were the component parts that built this phenomenal thing. And some people will say, oh, you know, this is God's will, and of course the church, but not, I mean, maybe, but it's a discernible historical fact that Christianity took root in a particular place at a particular time, led by particular people, who were devoted to a particular story that was unique, right? There was no pre-existing expectation, despite Christian efforts later to, to say, oh, this is all predicted in the Hebrew Bible. It, it wasn't. That's part of what's so powerful about the Christian story, is nobody was sitting there waiting for a human atoning, resurrected Messiah to put the world to rights. 
if they had been, why would they have been upset about Jesus being arrested? Why would they have, they would have just thought, well, Good Friday is necessary. It's not very pleasant, but we know Sunday's coming. We know Easter's coming. The disciples didn't think that. When the women come back from the tomb and say it's empty, the disciples dismissed it, quote, as an idle tale. So to go to what we were just talking about a second ago, if there weren't some historical value in those accounts, why would you introduce details that are against your interest, right? So this means that early believers were willing to write that women who had no standing in court, their testimony did not mean anything before the law. The last person you would put a controversial claim with is a woman because you could just dismiss it. But the women come back, so that's strike one. The disciples say, that doesn't make any sense, strike two. And fortunately, there's not a strike three because they go, they see it, they, they start to figure it out. But the very fact that what I just said was all included in the gospel itself suggests to me that there is an enormous amount of historical tradition very close to the events that drove this story. Because otherwise, why put it in? Yeah, well, anyone listening to this, uh, I think, would agree with me. It's a must-read the Hope of Glory Reflections on the Last Words of Jesus from the Cross. John Meacham, Pulitzer Prize-winning author, uh, is has been our very special guest. J- John, congratulations on the book, but uh, also on a body of work that is just so impressive and just still going strong. Thank you very much for being here. Oh, thanks so much. You've been very generous. John Meacham, everyone, has been our very special guest. Uh, his latest book, for the most part, I, I know John as a presidential historian. He's written uh, very impressive, best-selling books and award-winning books on on President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, uh, Andrew Jackson, and uh, you know he's really has put together an, an impressive career. Former editor in chief of Newsweek, and again that covers a, a, a lot of ground right there, and and. Just uh, tremendous. His uh, his resume is is very very impressive. He's uh, he's former vice president and ex- well executive vice president and executive editor at Random House, and no uh, stranger to the world of publishing and and uh, on all ends of it. But John Meacham is a very impressive writer, and I would urge everyone to get the book, uh, The Hope of Glory reflections on the last words of Jesus from the cross is his latest. And uh, everyone, please uh, get this book. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. I know I did with John Meacham. And again, Pulitzer Prize winning author, biographer, John Meacham has been our very special guest. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down and uh, Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, a very talented actress, Abby James Witherspoon, is our very special guest. And uh, not, not only an actress, uh, not not. Uh, only an actress that's uh, that's playing at a very high level. Uh, also, a a junior, if I if I remember correctly, a junior in high school. And I mean, to do it at that level, and to do it, um, I, where she's doing it, with the name, with the name recognition being what it is. Uh, I guess if, uh, if if it was somewhere other than Nashville, that it would be uh, it, you know like she would stick out like a sore thumb. But maybe because she's uh, she's doing all of this from Nashville. Uh, yeah, maybe she gets a little bit of a of a pass. She's around some famous people, but we'll let her address that. Abby James, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Doing well. And and you know we spoke in the past, and uh, one of the things I was asking you about is uh, is growing up in uh, growing up in uh, in Nashville because you're growing up there, and there's a lot of famous uh, folks around. Uh, do you think uh, there's a little less attention on you and, and on your celebrity? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say I feel like everyone in just high school and everything has their things that they're doing that is incredible. And so everyone is doing incredible things and everyone notices that. But, um, yeah, I would say. Listen. Let's let's talk about your latest. Your your streaming. Give us a give us a rundown, and uh, and give us a little overview of of where we could uh, where we could watch your latest film. Yes. So my most recent film is called Secret Headquarters. It's streaming on Paramount Plus right now, and it's an action and comedy movie starring Owen Wilson, Michael Pena. Um, I'm in it, uh, Mamona Tamada, Walker Scobell, Tisa Williams, Kazai Curtis, Jesse Williams, many more. But it's just a really fun family movie that anyone at any age will love to watch. And you'll be on the edge of your seat the whole time. It's, it's a fun, very fun film. Are these people, and, and you named a lot of the cast, there's a lot of talent there, there's a lot of uh, folks uh, who've been in, in a lot of films. Is this your first time with everyone that you just mentioned, uh, or is there uh, some repeat action in there? No, this is actually my first time. It was my first time working with every single one of them, which is incredible. I, um, I mean, to be able to work with all of them was super cool, and I had known who, of course, Owen Wilson was, and Michael Pena, and Jesse Williams, so being on set with them was amazing. And then I also even had known of Mamona Tamada from the Babysitter's Club and Keith L. Williams from Good Boys. And so it was it was super fun to work with all of them. Can you give us a little overview of uh, uh, you know of the of the film? And again, don't spoil. Right, we want everybody to watch it. We want everybody to see it. But uh, give us a little uh, a take on, on the film and your character. Okay, well, basically, there is a group of friends, and they end up discovering that under one of the kids' houses is a 
superhero lair, so secret headquarters. And, I mean, they're trying to figure out whose secret headquarters it is, why it's under this kid's house, and they discover a lot of gadgets, and they play with those, and they use those. They get themselves in some trouble. There's bad guys. There's a lot of fighting scenes. It's it's a very fun movie, and I play the role of Lizzie, and Lizzie is a girly girl. She's super outgoing, but she's also a straight-A student. She loves escape rooms. She's really, really good at solving puzzles, and she uses a lot of her skills to help all of the kids in the movie. Well, in a, in a short period of time, you've uh, you've built up a nice resume for yourself, and the body of work inside of there, and the quality of work inside the body of work is is being lauded, and uh, and so many people are applauding the uh, working with you and so forth. Uh, what are you finding the hardest about uh, working at this level and working with this level of of actors and actresses? Now, uh, is there anything that you're you're finding to be the most challenging? Well, I mean, I think I get very nervous before starting projects, especially when, I mean, there's very incredible actors and big names a part of the project, and so I'm hoping that I'll be able to do a good job and, and be a hard worker and know my lines around all of these people. So I think that the, the second I walk on set, every project I've done so far, which is incredible. I've just felt super supported by everyone, a part of it. And I think that's really, really nice that I get to be a part of these projects that everyone around me is super supportive. I'm growing and learning a lot, which is incredible. And I think I just always come into every project with an open mind of working on new things and growing from the directors and the other actors that I'm working with. You know, in some ways, uh, you're describing a like diving into cold water, right? I mean, it's the anticipation, right? You're nervous when you first get there, and then you, you get comfortable. But uh, the same thing with dive, diving into uh, cold water. You know, you're you're thinking about how freezing cold it's going to be, but once you get in, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of all right. And I imagine each uh, each role you do, each film you do. Uh, things are just going to get easier and easier. Uh, is there anything on the horizon, Abby, that uh, that uh, that you would like to? Uh, take on? Is there a, a different type of role that you'd like to, um, uh, you know, like to tackle? Uh, or are you just kind of going uh, with the flow and seeing where it takes you? I'm definitely just going with the flow. I, when I get auditions, I mean, there'll be like very different characters that I never even thought of. And so I get really excited to just explore with that. And so I'm going with the flow and honestly just trying to keep branching out with new types of characters and new ideas. And so, yeah, whatever comes my way, I will take with open arms and I will love. And I definitely want to just explore many different genres. So maybe horror in the future, coming of age movies. I love those movies. So that would be incredible to be a part of. Um, Comedy, I think that's super fun, and yeah, 
I'm I'm just ready for anything. Well, listen, uh, congratulations on your latest. We'll all be watching, and uh, we'll be watching your career as it uh, as it gets bigger and bigger and and stronger and stronger. Um, yeah, congrats to you on everything you're doing. Can you give us a website or a social media site where we could follow along what what you're doing? Yeah, of course. I'm on Instagram and TikTok as Abby James Witherspoon. Abby, thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Abby James Witherspoon, everyone has been our guest once again, and we just recently had her, and we're kind of. Uh, you know, uh, talking uh, again to her, you know, kind of in, in bits and bits and pieces here. But she is a uh, um, she is a uh, an actress who's who's doing very well for herself. And uh, by the way, you recognize the last name. Uh, she's the niece of Reese Witherspoon, Reese's niece. And, uh, you know, I, I was trying not to ask her. You know about her her famous aunt. I'm sure she gets it gets that all of the time, and um, I don't know if she's thinking about it. Uh, it's it probably chip shots for her now. Uh, she might appreciate being asked about her uh, her aunt because she's probably has some pat answers at at this point. But I you know listen. I think she's you know she's handling a lot for a young uh, woman. Right? She's a uh, she's a junior in high school, growing up in Nashville. And like I said at the the onset of the show, that um, if she was somewhere else, if she was in, you know, the backwoods of Tennessee, or she was in, you know, somewhere outside of Nashville, uh, I would I would have to believe um, that that she would stick out much more. But you know, in Nashville, you see uh, Trisha Yearwood, or you see you know, Dolly Parton, you see you know uh, Trace Atkins, you see all these people walking around. Um, Blake Shelton walking around uh, the, the street, and it's a big, small town, Nashville. If you've never been there, and you see a lot of these folks, just like you would in, you know, in and around uh, L.A. You know, you see people go into stores. I'm terrible at recognizing celebrities. I, I really am. I could be talking to somebody and have no idea of who the hell they are. And uh, you know, I'm good with names. I remember names. But I, I'm I'm terrible with with recognizing celebrities in their own you know in in their natural uh, surroundings, and uh, you know I'm, I'm almost glad I am. You know I don't want to be one of those people walking up to uh, people and asking them to do interviews like that. Um, I'd much rather do it uh, you know the way the way we're doing it now and and have uh, publicists and promoters and tours and uh, that type of thing uh, reach out rather than just harassing people to do interviews. I've, I've done it, trust me. <laughs> we had, had no choice in the beginning. We had to, uh, had to do things like that. But uh, Abby James Witherspoon, someone with uh, no problem with name recognition, her famous aunt Reese Witherspoon is uh, uh, you know, A-lister on anyone's, on anyone's scale. Uh, she's an A-lister, and we'll see where uh, Abby James... Where the spoon goes, her latest, check out her latest streaming. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This is Breaking It Down with your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. So much more importantly, Rutledge Wood is our very special guest. And if you're not watching Floor is Lava, uh, you're making a big mistake. Season three is upon us, and it's a, it's a hit on Netflix. And he, he's a, an analyst and reporter extraordinaire for NASCAR. And absolutely thrilled to have him uh, in, in about... You know, four or five days, you'll be able to see it uh, all again. Season three. Uh, Rutledge, how are you? Frank, I'm doing great, brother. That's 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 my favorite lead-in I've ever had, I think. I would love it if we could say, if you're not watching the show, you're making a big mistake. And your voice <laughs> would be. I, I think that's it. That's, I feel the exact same way, man. I appreciate you having me. It is dynamite. What you what you've done and what you've brought to it, and and everyone. I mean, just uh, everyone that is involved in the show has has put a, uh, a a masterpiece together. Anybody who's into uh, you know action or or or, uh, or NASCAR in general, but uh, just a, a good solid show beyond belief. Uh, they've really done well. Uh, what did you think when you first started? What was your expectations? Uh, what was the uh, what was what was your basic thought on how it would go? Can I tell you what's really funny, Frank? When they called me, I had done uh, Hyperdrive for Netflix, and we were talking about doing some other shows. And when they called and said, "Hey, we've got this idea. It's a show called Floor Is Lava." They couldn't get the word "lava" out before I said, "I'm in," because this is a game. And I played growing up with my friends. It's really just, let's you know, it's, a, it's an excuse to jump on your parents' furniture. And I just knew in my heart we were going to make something really cool. What you don't know is if other people are going to connect with that. And the show came out in a, in a rough year for all of us, right? It comes out in 2020 when still a lot of people are home. And it takes off. And the reason I think that you feel that, too, the reason it, it did that isn't because people are home. It's because there's so much bad stuff out there every single day that feels like it is hunting us down. To watch a show like this that just brings joy and smiles to people's faces of all ages, I just think that's the magic, you know? And season one was a huge hit. Season two and three have been fantastic. And we keep kind of trying to get bigger and better. And that's why I'm excited about Friday. People are going to see, you know, new teams, new rooms. Uh, it's just, it makes me laugh so much. My my oldest daughter was watching last night with me because I want to kind of jog my memory before I did some radio stuff today. And she said, Dad, did you just shout in the face when that gal fell? And I was like, well, yeah, what What else was I supposed to say? <laughs> she totally smashed her face. And sometimes you just got to channel your best Rob Riggle and let it go. And, and man, I'm, I'm so glad that you love the show so much. I just think that's I think that's the magic in it. It just—it's something for everybody. You know, I—I I think you hit on a point there. Something for everyone. You don't have to be a NASCAR fan to uh, to watch it. Uh, you know, certainly you don't have to be a NASCAR uh, fan to watch it. But different people are going to get turned on to different things because of this show and and uh and certainly i think nascar is going to be a, a recipient of that people are going to follow you and and see what you're doing and everything else are you finding that to be the case 
Absolutely. I, and there's honestly, there's not been in my career a better fan base that is more supportive than than NASCAR. I mean, you know, I've been with NBC since 2015, and that was one of those things that I think made a big difference uh, about me going over there was seeing how many people that saw me start from a Craigslist ad for the Speed Channel in 2005 and have been supportive the whole time. Because certainly, you know, when I did Top Gear with Adam Ferrara, New Yorker, uh, yep. and our friend Tanner Faust, we saw that same sort of support. And I think what's cool is I've just been lucky enough to be this kind of tour guide of good times. And so that's why I think Netflix um, believes in me so much has given me so many opportunities to, to do that. Because certainly, like, people in Oklahoma or New York or California are like, oh, my gosh, it's fun dude that does NASCAR and cooking shows and all these other things. And, and now, you know, my daughter certainly saw, like, overnight, all of their friends are like, whoa, that, that's what your dad does for work? We never, we knew he had to leave to, like, go to work, and we heard he worked in television. But when all of the kids overnight knew Floor is Lava, it was just a totally different beast. So, yeah, it, it's been incredible. I will say on the NASCAR side, Dale Earnhardt Jr., his daughters really love the show, and I think he wants to try out for uh, next season, hopefully. So it'd be cool to see. I don't know who he would put on his team. Maybe, I mean, Tony Stewart would be great out there. Clint Boyer could be another fun one. But uh, it, it's awesome to see, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it's it's terrific, and it's uh, it's refreshing. I, You know, you mentioned your daughter's friends not knowing what you're doing. I, I imagine uh, a lot of people would, would have heard of you from the Olympics and everything else. Did you get a lot of exposure uh, afterwards, like post-Olympics? Absolutely. You know what's fun with NBC is just like the peacock. You know, you think of the bird and, and how many different things. I've kind of gotten to represent all of those different things for NBC, you know, whether it was the Olympics or the Kentucky Derby is another big one. Uh, getting to go to, to two Super Bowls and, and get to be a part of those with Dale Earnhardt Jr. It's just, it's amazing to see, you know, the love of sports and storytelling. And I'm just one of these people that's always been curious and, and, and wants to ask a lot of questions. So, yeah, it's funny that, like, you know, on the weekend, I'm interviewing drivers and, and sports stars and everybody else. And then during the week, I'm going to making this amazing family show, Floor is Lava. It's just a funny thing that this is the stuff that I get to do. Uh, for work, I'm one lucky guy, Frank. That's for sure. Well, let me let me ask you this on on that same note: Are, are you a planner, or do you kind of just go with the flow? Are you a, uh, a you know a strategist career wise, or or do you kind of just wait to see what opens up and then kind of move towards the light? Man, I kind of have always tried to to be on the planning side and the strategy side. You know, I've always had this dream. I, I would go to sleep when I was a kid and want to be Chris Farley on Saturday Night Live and wake up uh, and watch CBS Sunday morning with my parents and want to be Bill Geist. And it's possible that I've kind of combined those two things. Uh, I try to have fun and, and bring humor to everything I do. And, you know, Bill Geist, I've got to work with his son, Willie, who's an amazing guy and Terrific. a good friend. And, you know, I told, told Willie, like, hey, I wouldn't be doing this without your dad because his dad could go and interview, you know, the artisanal pencil sharpener or – <laughs> the guy trying to grow the biggest pumpkin in the world. And, you know, he never made people feel bad for loving these things. He just was so curious about it. And I think that's one of those things that I've tried to do um, in my career and, and try to kind of be like a Swiss Army knife. You know, I want to kind of do a little bit of everything. And I certainly hope one day uh, I'm getting out to the Tonight Show or doing something else fun like that. And that's 
I think kind of always been my North Star is, is doing a late night uh, interview show because I do. I just I love people and I'm curious as all get out, but getting to do something fun like this game show is just something I, I had no idea how much joy floor is lava that I being a part of it could bring to so many other people's lives. Like I, I have lunch with my youngest daughter every Wednesday is our day we can go have lunch with her at school and walking through the halls and seeing the kids' faces light up being like, oh my gosh, that guy from Netflix is in the hallway. Right? How is this possible? <laughs> like seeing that happen is, man, it's just so special. Well, listen, uh, just keep doing what you're doing. Your career is just wonderful. You've put together uh, just a great career, and, and the sky's the limit. Flores Lava is terrific. We'll be talking about it as we let you go. But before we let you go, uh, give us anything else that you, you think we should know. And before you go, make sure you give us a website or a social media site where we can follow along with what you're doing. Absolutely, Frank. I appreciate that so much. Yeah, all new teams. Uh, some crazy new rooms. Everybody's going to love it. Uh, season three, Floors Lava premieres Friday, September 30th, only on Netflix. You can find me and pretty much everything uh, at Rutledge Wood, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, all that stuff. And I got a YouTube channel, too, where I try to show people some of the fun stuff that I'm wrenching on when I'm not uh, going to do one of these other fun uh, work projects. But besides that, follow me. Uh, at NBC Sports, we're finishing up this NASCAR season. Uh, it's going to be crazy. And, man, I just, Frank, I appreciate the support so much. Thanks for watching, brother. You're the best. Rutledge Wood, thanks for being here. My pleasure, man. Thank you. Rutledge Wood, uh, just a uh, very talented guy. Uh, he's an analyst, reporter, show host. And again, it, it, his his base is really uh, NASCAR, and you know, Flores Lava is uh, is is an offshoot of that. Kind of love watching people's careers, and when uh, and when they have a, a particular base, uh, in a, in this case, uh, NBC and NBC Sports Group, and they could branch off. And you hear his you hear his voice. He's uh, you know he's obviously uh, got that uh, got that twang to it, and. So many people in NASCAR uh, are are coming from uh, you know uh, rural areas and everything else. Uh, he's sharp as hell, uh, very good at what he does, and uh, and and I'll tell you with uh, all the Olympic coverage he got and uh, you know Kentucky Derby. You know I never saw him do the Kentucky Derby, but I mean he's he gets. Uh, you know, he he gets a lot of opportunities and he jumps on it. I yeah I don't watch uh, the 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 pre-show for Kentucky Derby, so that's probably where where I'm not seeing him uh, when NBC uh, uh, you know handles all of these different things. Uh, you know, I, I just kind of watch the race on the Kentucky Derby and, and move on. Flores Lava is uh, is upon us in season three. Netflix, everyone check it out. Rutledge Wood has been our very special guest and. Uh, you don't have to be a NASCAR fan to uh, to enjoy it, but check it out. Frank McKay signing off. We'll see you next time on Breaking It Down. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chilling by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
many ways, Long Island is the story of America. It's breaking it down with Frank McKay. Long Island is definitely the place for you. Now, here's your host, Frank McKay, on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here. And the name of the book is After Steve, How Apple Became a Trillion Dollar Company and Lost Its Soul. Trip Mickle is the author. And this is something everyone's got to get. And I'm fascinated. I've ordered mine. And Trip Mickle is here. And you know his work as a reporter for many years and terrific work it is. Trip Mickle, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. What kind of feedback are you getting from people inside the company? Are you hearing either critiques? Are you hearing people deny things? What was the initial reaction of Apple? Apple has made known their displeasure with some elements of the book, uh, but mainly just like, you know, the arc of it, uh, the idea that, that this, this company that was kind of a powerhouse of innovation has, has, has lost some of that as it has become more of a place of method over magic. Uh, I think that's their central frustration. Beyond that, I haven't, I haven't heard too many major nits. Um, there are many longtime Apple employees who have left the company and, and then others who are part of my source network who, who feel like the book is, you know, more than fair and is an accurate portrayal of, of the way this company has transformed over the past decade. I mean, it's a transformative company all itself. Is there anything that you found out, you discovered that threw you for a loop or that shocked you? You've been covering Apple quite a bit as a reporter, but is there anything in your research for this that just floored you? You know, it's interesting. Um, the book is really a character study. Of, I mean, you know, it's really almost in many ways it, it doubles as a biography of two figures: uh, Tim Cook, the CEO of the company, and Johnny Ive, the chief design officer, who is you know was, was Steve Jobs' longtime partner in, in creating a lot of the products, all the products that Apple has, has brought into the world. Um, and in w- reporting on each of them, I learned something that I didn't expect. And in Tim Cook, I didn't expect to go to his hometown of Robertsdale, Alabama, really small place, about an hour outside of Mobile. Uh, I expected to go there and find out that you know this guy was kind of worshipped, right? I mean, here here's this small, small, small town local guy done good uh and instead what i found was he he was a bit of a local pariah in part because he he told a story that some people question whether it's true or not about a cross burning uh in alabama and his hometown in the in the early 70s um and that just is put a kind of a black eye i guess publicly uh because he told the story that was repeated in the new york times put a black eye on the community and so so he's He's not as beloved there as I expected him to be. Um, by contrast, Johnny Ive uh, is this really fascinating character who uh, has such a keen sense for imperfections in the world around him that people question if he has like uh, like X-ray vision or uh, the ability to see things that others can't. And I don't know that we'll ever answer that, but there's a there's a funny anecdote in the book about him sitting down at a, at a, at a bar in a restaurant with a colleague after doing some work in Asia. And he looks down this 30 foot long, uh, stainless steel bar and just 
you know, shakes his head in disgust and says, I can see every seam in this bar. And the guy sitting beside him looks down the bar and doesn't see a thing except smooth silver metal uh, all the way from one end to the other and looks at him and goes, man, your life must be miserable, you know? And that, 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 that to me is just kind of emblematic of the, the eye this guy has. Oh my God. Let's jump back to the cross burning. Something that isn't funny is the community in Alabama is a small town in Alabama. Are they angry and are they disputing that it ever happened or are they mad that he told the story and painted them in such a light? Uh, they dispute that it happened. I mean, he had one of his good friends reach out and challenge the, the anecdote and say, if this happened, like, why didn't you go to the police? If this happened, um, you know, why, why didn't you, why didn't you raise it with your parents? What did they do when you did? Um, Tim Cook didn't have an answer according to this person's recollection, uh, to those questions. Uh, his, his answer was, do you, are you calling me a liar? Right. Um, there's no, from my reporting, there's no, there was no easy way to resolve this. Uh, there were, there was a, there was a teacher I spoke with who recalled Tim Cook talking about the story uh, around the time he was in high school, which points to the fact that it, that, it, you know, there's longevity to this, you know, it's not something that he, he began telling later in life. Uh, but by the same token, uh, many of the townspeople are right. There were no black residents in the town at the time. Um, and they, you know, the first black resident didn't move into town until some years later. And so that there is an open question as to whether this was a real event or not. After Steve, how Apple became a trillion dollar company and lost its soul. Trip Mickle is our very special guest, and he's written a home run here and hit a home run. And so many people are praising and raving about this book. Everyone's got to get it. We urge everyone to get two. Get one for yourself and get one for someone who thinks Apple hasn't sold their soul. How about that? And have them <laughs> dispute it from here. When you use a term like that, sold the soul, I'm sure you have a lot of agreement on that. There are people that are anti-Apple or anti-big business or whatever, but the ones that say you're wrong, what do they point to? What's their defense of Apple on this? And what do they think you're doing? Do they think you're just anti-business? What kind of uh, criticism are they coming back with? Well, I, I, they're often, you know, judging the book by its cover and not and not giving it a read. So, I, you know, I haven't had anybody who's read the book who's given me feedback that suggested, like, you know, it's it's uh, it, it, the, the subtitle mis, misstates or misrepresents what the what the book is about. I mean, the subtitle speaks to what happened to the company in 2019, and this is really the arc of the book. It really tells the story of of why Johnny Ive, this this person that Steve Jobs considered his creative soulmate, if you will, the soul of the company, decided to ultimately leave in 2019. I mean, he he grew increasingly disillusioned with the company itself as it became more operational out of necessity to manage the expectations of Wall Street as it became bigger and bigger and bigger. Trip, I want to congratulate you not only on the book and the rave reviews that you're getting, but also on the work that you've done all along. Your reputation precedes you and wonderful work over the years reporting on just this as well. Can you give us a website, a social media site, and fill us in on anything else you'd like to before you leave? 
Sure. I mean, you can find the book on Amazon if you, if you search after Steve or, at, you know, you can ask for it at your local bookseller if they don't have it, if that's your preferred way of getting it. You can follow me at Trip Nickel uh, on Twitter. That's with two P's. And also keep track of my work, ongoing work about Apple and the New York Times. Trip Nickel, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Trip Nickel, everyone, is the author of After Steve how Apple became a trillion-dollar company and lost its soul. Trip Mickle is a writer-reporter with the Wall Street Journal and different sources. And, you know, so much of him, so much of his work has been, you know, focusing on Apple. And why not? It's a major company, an incredible company. And after Steve, of course, talking about Steve Jobs and the death of Steve Jobs, what happened afterwards. And, you know, we'll see from there. But again, it's obviously conjecture that it'll be the criticism from the outside standpoint. But again, try to get all sides of every story as you're doing things. Apple is such a fascinating company to a lot of people. And I think a lot of young people as well. And if you see the way they've built this company, it's, it's nothing short of amazing. And, you know, again, I guess people could say, hey, you know, Trip Mickle, just trying to bring down the big guys and, and so forth. But, uh, hey, you know what? Get the book, check it out, and decide for yourself. Again, the name of the book, the name of the book is After Steve, How Apple Became a Trillion Dollar Company and Lost Its Soul is the full title. And Trip Mickle, longtime Wall Street Journal reporter and Frank McKay here signing off. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down. He's breaking it down so you don't have to. This is Breaking It Down with Frank McKay on 1071 WLIRFM Hampton Bays. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.